Welcome to the Freedom Founder Podcast, the show that provides a platform for self-made entrepreneurs to share their stories on how they got where they are today. If you're a budding entrepreneur or a business owner looking for further inspiration, education, or motivation, then look no further. This is the show for you. And now, let's get started with your host, Zach Duggar. Welcome to the Freedom Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Duggar. Now in life, in business, in our careers, we sometimes have a path that is changed over time or in a time in which we were on a certain trajectory, but for some reason, we made a decision to go a different direction. Now, my guest today, Chandler, was on a path, path in the medical field, made a decision to go a different direction and finding freedom satisfaction and joy in the work he's doing today now chandler i wanted to thank you for joining me today welcome to the show yeah thanks for having me hopefully we can help people out with my wild journey of going through med school and then completely shifting gears absolutely and it's not a path that someone who from the outside would think that would be the decision on the back end so um, before we get into that the picture that i had put up with this uh, episode title includes a small child in it. So tell me, your parent, father, tell me what's going on there. Yeah, that's my daughter. So I'm a dad to a four-year-old little girl. She's going to turn five next month. And it's like this little best friend that you didn't really know you need, but now you have. So we can do everything together. I, I ask her, you want to go do karate? Yes. Do you want to go to the park? Yes. So no matter what, we have like a blast together 24-7. I love that. And it gives them also a little bit behind some of that why, you know, in, in life and business, sometimes people don't think or stop to ask why, why am I doing this? Why am I pursuing this passion or this project or this specific goal? And family can be a big part of that why and what we do. Now, the question I usually start with, and aside from family, but I appreciate that answer as well, um, is in regards to that career path, what were you pursuing as you got out of high school and continued into your walk down that career journey? What was your pursuit? We prefaced that a little bit, but tell us a little bit of that backstory. Yeah. So I grew up with a mother who suffered from bipolar disorder. And so I got to see kind of what mental illness looked like from the inside. And it kind of taught me how to sort of love people for where they're at and not to judge people or be angry with people for the way they, they portrayed themselves. And that led me into a path that was a med school path because I wanted to be able to move to a position to where I could help people and, and create change for a living. But the problem I found was as I was going through the programs and the modules and the precepting that the main goal was to provide medication, especially in Western style medicine. And I didn't feel like that was really where I wanted to be. And I didn't feel like I wanted to move into like a cush specialty where, you don't where like dermatology, where you work noon to mm -hmm. one and you get an hour lunch. And so what I decided was at that point, and I had a father growing up who was an entrepreneur. So he gave me sort of the, the courage to be able to say, hey, I could do something different. Hey, I can build my own thing. Hey, I could do my own thing. And so that's when I'd make the decision to essentially break off and build my first brick and mortar business, which is a total wellness facility. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So you made the decision to break off from that trajectory as you started to see that the Western medicine the approach that you were learning really wasn't aligning with your particular desire in your pursuit or 
total wellness for the individual. This brick or mortar business, talk a little bit about that. What was kind of the, uh, the, the description of what you did in that business? Yeah, good question. So in the brick and mortar, it was organized around seven pillars of wellness. And those seven, okay. seven pillars were mental health, social health, sleep, nutrition, fitness, habits, and ultimately we added wealth as well. And we felt that those were the seven key critical indicators that would tell you whether or not someone was going to be successfully become well without all seven being sort of accomplished. And in order, typically the person was going to be left wanting. They weren't going to do it. They weren't going to continue forward. They were going to fail. They were going to get on yo-yo diets and nothing was going to yeah. work. Okay. And it was that a tr true brick and mortar business where people would come into a location and meet with you? Yep. So it's different than like a lot of the online businesses where there's no overhead. So when I was opening yeah. a brick and mortar, there's the overhead of the rent. There's mm -hmm. plunging the toilets when the toilets <laughs> clog. There's utilities. There's just hard costs that are associated with doing the business that force you to be a good business owner right off the bat. I think sometimes in the online world, you can kind of get lazy because you don't have all these hard costs. It's like you get zero, you just don't eat. But it's not like you have to shut your facility down. But yeah. in the brick and mortar world, you have these hard, hard costs that you have to be able to actually pay for. So you have to learn to hustle really quickly so you can get to that point to where the bills are paid. Yeah. Now, with starting a business like that, where you do have to hustle to get business going and getting income revenue generated so you can pay the bills, how did you do that with that early on in the process? How did you attract clientele and get the word out that you were out there providing this service that you wanted people to benefit from? Yeah, good question. So coming off of med school track, I was really good at research. I could probably beat anybody in research. I, we, we always say, as medical students, we are killing ourselves today for the betterment of others tomorrow because we put enormous amounts of time into research and no sleep and all that. So I researched kind of the best applications and the best processes for opening up a brick and mortar, how you can open it up and be profitable. And what I figured out was a system and a program we call the Founders Club. And so the Founders Club was this idea to where a certain number of people could be part of our founders crew and they got extra benefits, they got extra perks, they got a t-shirt, like plaques and stuff like that to make them feel special. And so we took that and we filled our founders club up with probably 125 people before the door even opened, doors even opened. And that put us in a place where we were able to pay all of our bills. We were able to pay ourselves and we opened up the thing to a successful business that was already filled. And so I think that was one of the critical moments that we had that allowed us to open the door and actually have a successful running business. So you're already operating the business even before the doors were open in the sense of getting people's awareness of what you're offering and offering that additional benefit of being those early adopters in the program essentially so that you could open the doors without going in the red on day one so yeah no i think that's a tremendous strategy and i don't always hear people talking about things like that it's usually we're going to lose money during the first year to second year, third year, before we start breaking even and before we start making money. Yeah, exactly. And my concept was if we open the door and we're not making money, now my back's against the wall and all I can focus on and force myself to do is try to sell. So if I can get myself in a position to where we're full before we open, we win. Yeah, absolutely. And not only you win, but you're also then providing this service for total wellness for individuals that we're going to gain from that and gain from somebody who's able to focus on the aspect of the business, not on just whether or not you're going to be able to pay the bills for the business. Exactly. So talk a little bit about how that business 
began to take off then. So you got, you got your early adopters, your founders club, and then where did it go from there? Yeah. So the people in the founders club moved into the founders club was essentially a monthly membership. And so the idea yeah. was it's a brick and mortar and it's a facility that provides the wellness solution. People are going to want to come back and keep coming to the, the facility. So instead of just a one-off, we needed it to be a subscription. So if it, was, if, if it was a subscription, and even if we lost a certain percentage of our founders club after a few months, we had the ability to consistently carry over that revenue month over month, year over year. So that way we had this broad base of income that we could pull from rather than just like a one and done. So after the Founders Club, technically people were able to stay on that Founders Club in, unless they left. And so that put mm -hmm. them in this monthly subscription model. So that allowed us to focus on servicing those clients and recognizing what potential revenue was. I was able to predict revenue. I started to pay attention to churn. And so when people dropped off, how many dropped off? Why? What were the inflection points? What was the timeline and time frame when they dropped off? So that way I could make data-driven decisions to be able to combat and battle churn. Okay. That is speaking my language. So data-driven decisions is definitely something that is important in business. And also another area that I don't think that people focus enough on. Instead, it seems there's more of the focus on, let me just provide the service. Hopefully more people will come and hopefully we'll have enough money to pay the bills, <laughs> uh, which is not the best way to approach business. But personally, I've done that as well. So I know the experience on that side of the coin too. So in review of the data, how, how did you, how, how were you able to determine like you're successful? What were your kind of measures of success for yourself in this, in this venture? Um, not, not necessarily specific dollar signs, but just what, what did you see as measures of success? Yeah. So measures of success for me in a brick and mortar that has a subscription offer is basically what is our client success rate is ultimately the most important metrics of success. Yeah. And for us, it needed to be 97% or higher because if the client success rate was 97% or higher, that means churn was going to be lower. And that means our average client value was going to stay high because they stuck with us. And so what the things we had to look at were when someone was on the, the subscription, why did they drop off and when did they drop off? So we, and then we started organizing things in different ways to combat that. So for example, if someone came in and they were in the founders club and they didn't have a one-on-one -on -one sort of orientation meeting with someone that was going to put them in a position to churn within like 21 days. So we added an onboarding and an orientation session. Then what we found was if after six weeks, they didn't have another personalized session, they were more likely to churn at that point. So we added another one at six weeks. And then at some point, the members would were able to get something like that once every six weeks in order mm -hmm. to have that personalized touch goal planning session and keep them in a place to where they, they were consistently happy. And so we pay attention to those kinds of things and then add things in that are appropriate and that fit within our margins that we can do to reduce that churn. So that way, long term, we increase that average client value and dump that churn down. Yeah. yeah. So you set up a lot of operational structure, it sounds like, in the process of identifying where those success points were. Now, were, did you ever consider moving that towards an online business or adding an online element to what you were doing there? Yeah. So just before the pandemic, what I was, I, we had some offers and we were able to sell the brick mm -hmm. and mortar, which was great because we didn't suffer yeah. through the pandemic. 
best sure. decision ever. <laughs> right. So then when we did that, I actually built out an app and I built up an online platform and we took the same principles that we had in the brick and mortar and built up the online. And what was cool okay. with the online was though, there was no overhead. So I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, the brick and mortar, we're operating at like 26% profit margin. And then online, I'm like, we're operating at like 65% because there's no mm -hmm. overhead. So now starting with the online, I can dump 20 grand into Facebook ads and because there's no overhead, I don't have rent or anything. So it allowed us to take the online program through the pandemic and grow that 1800% year over year to a point yeah. to where we were bursting at the seams and we were doing the same thing. Where is churn? Where do I identify inflection points? How do we make it better? Create the experience and then ultimately grow that platform as well. Do you have an idea of kind of the multiple of individual clients you are able to serve when you moved from the brick and mortar to more of an online presence? What do you mean? Uh, with regards to the, when you're, when you're in a singular location, you're limited in that geographical region for the number of clients you're able to serve. And I'm just curious as to if you looked at the, the difference in the amount of people you then became able to serve when you moved to an online presence or that you ultimately did serve moving to an online presence. Yeah. So with the local business, we were in Reno, the Reno Tahoe area. So our, mm -hmm. our total market value was probably like a hundred thousand people who mm -hmm. were able to do our service. When we moved online, we were global. So we had, a, we probably had a billion people that we could have looked at and sure. served. And so we were at, at some point we were in the United States, we were in Canada, we were in Australia, the Netherlands. I had people in Germany. So we had people all over the U.S. and all over the world globally. So it allowed us to take our small footprint and expand it at a massive scale. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is this a business that you're continuing to operate today? Yeah, the business is still active. The business is still growing. The business is still running. We have operational structure and everything. So it's in a pretty good place. And now it's, it's sort of matured. So at this point, yeah. it's really focused on making sure that we have the operational capacity to take what we're doing to the next level. And that's the idea of going from like the one to 10 million, 10 million to 30 million, and then 30 million yeah. beyond. Yep. Now, did you see that increase as far as your, uh, the receptiveness of people to this um, type of service being online when the, when you went through the pandemic, when we go, going through the pandemic, everything, a lot of things moved online. So did you see an increase in interest and people being receptive to an online service like that? Yeah, absolutely. And because we were structured and I had the app, we had the finances to actually grow it. We had the knowledge yep. from the brick and mortar. We were kind of running and gunning. So people were basically desperate for programs like that. And that sure. put us in a place to where we weren't just like scavenging and trying to figure things out like everyone else was. We were already solidified in a good place. We could take on clients and scale and not break our fulfillment. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'd like to get into a little bit different conversation that is the title of this episode relates to that is redefining sales through compassion conversations, which is something that you are promoting and teaching and helping support others and learning kind of a different approach to the sales process. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that means to you and what that looks like. 
Yeah, good question. So going through the brick and mortar and the online platform, I had to learn sales and we had to build a sales mm -hmm. team. We had to have a strong sales staff. And the problem I always ran into was I got into this industry to help people. I got into this industry to change lives, to make people feel better. But what I was being told by most sales trainers was manipulate someone into making a decision so they'll jump in, like stick the knife into them and twist it. If they cry, they buy. All these mm -hmm. things that I felt like were just disgusting manipulative tactics to get people to make a short-term decision and then ask for a refund. And so what I, I did, what any obsessive biochemist would do, and, and I looked at my process and, and thinking patterns and ultimately how we organized the conversational way that we were selling. Then I had a good mentor who came out who's a doctor in clinical psychology, so cognitive behavior therapy focused. And we took the ideas and principles of cognitive behavior therapy, acceptance, commitment therapy, and a bunch of different therapeutic modalities and created a sales system that was focused on selling through compassion and care and not manipulation or aggressive tactics. Okay. Now, for someone who may not understand what that looks like, you know, they understand the words compassion and care, but selling through compassion and care, I mean, what, what does that look like? What is kind of a summary of what you're, if you're going to come into a room to talk a little bit about that with a group of people, what are some of the themes that you go over with them? Yeah, there's three main themes. The number one is what I call achieving level five listening. And so level five listening in this concept of sales is the idea of removing your ego from the equation and learning to step into the heart, mind, and soul of the person you're trying to serve and helping them define and understand the real situation and the real problem. When you look at five, the five levels of listening, level one is ignoring. Like you're talking and I'm off like gardening and doing other things. I have no idea what you're saying. Level two is where I'm pretending to listen. So I like, you're talking and I have my phone and I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, yep. And then you ask a question. I'm like, wait, what, what, what did you say? So level two is kind of like, I'm still not paying attention. I could still care less. Level three is where I'm sitting here. We're having a conversation and all I care about is responding. This, the perfect example of this is a political argument. You mm -hmm. say something about conservatives or liberals or whatever. And then the other person, the only, they're on the edge of their seat, like seething. Right? All they want to do is say what you're wrong about. They don't care what you said. They have no context, but their head is about to explode if they can't have that conversation with you. That's level three. Level four is you're paying attention, you're actively listening, but you're kind of still in your own ego and you're still in your own space. So you're not really stepping into what the other person is feeling and thinking. And level five is empathetic listening. So that's where we're listening with empathy. We're listening for a, with a purpose. We're listening, okay, why is that important to you? Okay, well, that makes sense. But And you said this, so what did you mean by that? And if we did this, where would that take you? And hold on, you wanted this. So I'm asking questions, I'm clarifying, I'm quantifying, and I'm really working to figure out what's actually going on in this person's mind so I know what's going on better than they do. Yeah, okay. So getting to that point of level five listening in the process, you really understand more specifically what they're looking for, what they're desiring, what relating to them as an individual. So that's one of the themes that you mentioned. So you said there are two other themes. Yeah. The second one is what I call the art of the challenging leaders. So if you're in sales and often sales leaders teach you to like, oh, just pretend like you're their friend, do the same thing as those people, just if they like good weather, you like good weather. If they like surfboards, you like surfboards. But that's, that's not how we create a connection in leadership. So when we look at the concept of the challenging leader, we need to challenge people on the patterns of behavior that they've been doing that have prevent, been preventing them from being able to be successful. So for example, someone who wants to lose weight, 
it's not the fact that diets are, are the thing. It's not the fact that they've tried 57 diets. If you kind of work to uncover through level five listening, what's actually going on, you figure out that maybe as a kid, they had to eat their whole plate every day. And that forced them into a pattern of overeating that they still do to this day. Now they're not able to lose weight and they think it's diet. So I need to challenge them mm -hmm. on that. So the art of the challenging leader is saying, hold on, that doesn't, that, hold on, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions about that or hold, hold on? I don't, I don't think I quite understand. It's diving deeper into the problems and asking people questions to clarify and quantify the real problem and then help them understand where it exists because they think the problem's here. Whereas the real problem is over here. And if you're their friend and you're just super nice to them and you're just, if you like the weather, they like the weather, you never get there and you never establish leadership. Yeah, that's a solid point. I think that it's challenging sometimes for people to really think that they need to also challenge an individual with regards to the way they're thinking to help them get to another place. And that can be done through just asking questions, following up on what they're saying, rather than just aligning. <laughs> exactly. I like what you like. <laughs> and I can <laughs> definitely see what you're saying there, especially if it's not in alignment with what you do actually like. Yeah, That's exactly. Some people, some salesmen are like, what do you, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm, I work as a gardener. Oh, I love gardening. It's just my favorite pastime. And the sales dude's never been in a garden his entire life. He's totally pretending, just blowing smoke up the person. And it just, yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's not right. It's not real. It's not leadership. Yeah. So, and also inauthentic. It's just not an authentic way to present yourself. And also can, I assume, mess things up down the line if that person founds, finds out that you're lacking in authenticity. Exactly. So theme number three, we've moved from the art of listening to essentially stepping in and you know, challenging. Now, what about theme number three? Yeah. So number three is what I call detaching from the need to sell. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people come into a sales conversation and they're so focused on selling. They're nervous. Their palms are sweating. They get anxiety. They can't stop thinking about it. Then all they want to do is ask for the sale because they need the money. But then they, when they ask for it, they're super needy. So they don't get the money anyway. And the best way to think about this is if you show up with commission breath, if you show up and you're like, what can I do to get you to buy today? I'll, anything you anything you need, I got, I'll, I'll give it to you. And you're making deals with them. People can smell that. Think about dating. If you open up a dating app and you're like swipe on someone and you're like, oh yeah, and you say, hey, and they respond back and you text them 74 times in the next 12 minutes, that's needy. What are they going to do? They're going to run away as fast as humanly possible. Same thing in this process. If you show up needy, if you show up wanting, if you show up with that commission breath and you show up like, I really need this, they're going to run away and want it and not want it. It's a game of cat and mouse. So you have to show up to the call with the expectation that you're here to serve and with the expectation that you may or may not make the sale and be comfortable with that. Even if you need the money, even if you're going to go broke and homeless, if you don't make the sale, because the second you show up with that neediness, you lose the sale. The person can smell it. The other person on the other line can smell, even through the Zoom call, the commission mm -hmm. breath on you. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Showing up here to serve. Like that's a great place to come from. And I think that delivers often better results than the person who shows up with that neediness. Uh, and I think that concept of commission breath and that it comes out even over the internet. <laughs> it comes exactly. across in a Zoom call. Uh, people smell that out and they, like you said, they, they can turn, turn tail and run. You know? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 
Wow. So what you're teaching, what you're talking about here, it applies really in a lot of different situations. I think this, these concepts could be applied in many different sales, service industry opportunities. Are you providing trainings in any way at this point in time? Or how are you getting this information out to others? Yeah, good question. So this all started off as just a way to fix my sales process. Then yeah. I taught it to my sales team. My sales team was really good. Then we got people asking us if we could train their sales teams. And mm -hmm. so we moved into a position to where we started training sales teams for like corporate environments. We started training sales teams for a lot of like coaching and consulting companies. And then we started started offering our sales coaching program, which is a compassion conversations program. Yeah. It's a nine week program. We have people go through different modules. In the modules, they have to submit themselves doing role plays and doing the different language patterns. We give them the green light to forward or the red light and tell them what to work on. So the ultimate goal is to achieve mastery in the language patterns associated with compassion conversations so they can walk away and they have the skills and guidance to actually get out there and do it. It's not just a course to where people are like, well, I took it and I'm never going to mm -hmm. use it. It's a program where we teach them and coach them and force them to quantify and show us how qualified they are to use the method. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very strong way to approach it too, because mo many courses, many webinars, programs just provide the education and it is great. Uh, but if you don't really master it, you may not be able to use it. So actually requiring them to go through those steps and show mastery or show that skill to get the green light to move on. Highly intelligent process. I really, really value that. So if somebody did want to find out about how to access that information, is there a website or link that they could connect with? Yeah. So I put together a video training on the three okay. steps to sell without manipulation, aggressive tactics, or feeling salesy. If you want that training, just go to my Instagram. That's instagram.com forward slash Chandler underscore SAF and DM me the word sales and I'll send that right over to you. Remember, that's my Instagram. Just go instagram.com forward slash Chandler, like from friends underscore SAF. S-A-F. Great. Yeah, we will absolutely include that in the show notes too to make sure that's easily accessible for others. Now, I want to make sure I ask a question. I like to ask all of my guests, if you were to be handed a million dollars today with no restrictions on that, how would you invest that in your current business or another endeavor and why? Yeah, if someone handed me a million dollars, what I would probably do with it is I'd probably just put it in the stock market at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Stocks are ripping. I don't necessarily need the money to produce or put it into something. Sure. And I think at the moment with everybody predicting a recession, the stock, stock market's absolutely ripping right now. So even at a yeah. short term with capital gains, you can still produce a significant return on it. And for us, it's part of one of our pillars as well. So it's achieving that yep. financial capabilities to support and sustain yourself long term. And for me, it's taking the money that you have or you're given and use it in a way that's going to pay you back 10, 20, 30 years. So that way you're not wanting in the future. I'm not sitting here at 80 years old as like a Walmart reader or something. Nothing against that, but it's definitely where I do not want to be. Yeah, no, absolutely understandable. And I really like that approach to to consider the different pillars, including wealth as part of that. And just for those that might be interested in finding out more about that online program, how would somebody access that information so that they could learn in these different categories or perhaps become a client because that's what they need right now. That's what they're looking for. Yeah. So if you're interested in the seven pillars of wellness program, just go to my Instagram again, instagram.com forward slash Chandler underscore SAF. You'll see me. It's me and like a jujitsu gi with my little girl. You can't miss me. And then just DM me the word 
six pillars or seven pillars, and I'll send you over the, uh, the guide for achieving total wellness in our seven pillars. Perfect. So now I think that is tremendous that you have created these available resources for people, not just in that brick and mortar location, but now online. And then you're taking the strategies that you've learned to improve your process and leading others into that approach and how they might change up their sales process as well. So Chandler, I want to really thank you for the time today. I've really gained a lot of insight for myself as well. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with others and getting the resources out there for them. So again, thank you for your time. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully we gave people some value and you stayed engaged and awake and didn't fall asleep where we, we were talking. Absolutely. You know, we didn't have to get up and do any demonstrations of some of those jujitsu moves that I'm sure that you can demonstrate. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again. You take care. Yeah, you too.